Yesterday, I, um, I, I went with uh, Mark. We've got uh, Mark Caldera is over here from Mumbai. He's been with us for a week and I uh, took him yesterday to Stonehenge. Driven past Stonehenge lots of times. In fact, I've sat in traffic fairly close to Stonehenge <laughs> many, many times. Um, but I've actually uh, never been and had a look around. So went and had a look around Stonehenge. And um, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. You've got these massive stones that have been moved. I mean, but when you try and understand what was it all about, it is as a, I've le- I left as confused as when I got there. In fact, probably more confused. They have a, a stone there called the Slaughter Stone. And you think, oh, that must be to do with some Neolithic sacrifices. Nothing to do with that at all. It's just that it was, uh, had a red tinge to it, so someone years ago uh, thought that might be blood and called it the sort. And you think, what on earth is that all about? I did, I literally came away and thought, I just feel more confused than when I went. This morning, we're starting a series on Revelation. And uh, when you, if you've read the book of Revelation, uh, you can open it and you can read it and you can think, this is just confusing. You can put it down, you can feel more confused at the end than you did when you started. And uh, we're going to go through this series, and I believe it's going to be something that's going to help us, it's going to encourage us, it's going to speak to us, because I believe God's got a lot that he wants to say from this this book to us over the coming weeks and months. And so this morning, we're going to be taking a quick overview, and we're going to, I've called it Unraveling Revelation. And uh, so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to read some verses from Revelation chapter 1. And I'll read them. The words will come up behind me on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible, you can follow. This is what it says. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty. As we come to look at the book of Revelation, I'm going to recommend a few books to you. So if, the, if, if you struggle, you want to, you struggle maybe in the mornings, you want to spend some time with God and um, you sort of think, I've only got sort of 15, 20 minutes. This is a great little help. It's uh, Straight to the Heart of Revelation by a guy called Phil Moore. That will be, you'll find that really useful. It gives, I've been reading through this myself. I have so enjoyed it over these last months as I've been thinking through the book of Revelation. If you want to understand a little 
little bit more, making sense of the book of Revelation. It's got lots of pictures in here, lots of allegories, lots of metaphors. The book is called The Lamb, the Beast, and the Devil. It's got an interesting picture on the front. It's by a guy called John Hosier. He'll be speaking later this autumn. That's a really good book. That will really help you. And if you want to go a little bit deeper, there's something from the Bible Speaks Today, the message of Revelation by a guy called Michael Wilcock. You might find that helpful if, uh, if you want to have a look at it. If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, you're thinking, what on earth is going on? Well, let me tell you, you're going to be really encouraged and blessed this morning because I believe God wants to speak to you. A number of years ago, it was, uh, it, was, uh, uh, it, it, was an, it was the 10th of September 2001, and my son came off his bike, whacked into a lamppost, and knocked his tooth out. The next morning, he didn't go to school. And uh, so the next day, I took the day off, and I spent the day with him, and uh, his face was uh, all bruised all over, a big bruise on his face. And uh, it was uh, the 11th of September. And uh, I was uh, reading to him a book, and we read most of, we started reading early in the morning, we read a book called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe uh, by a guy called C.S. Lewis. And as we were reading it, uh, uh, we'd read for an hour or so, and I put the television on, and in front of me was unfolding probably one of the uh, pivotal events of uh, this millennia. And uh, it was uh, the Twin Towers, and uh, watched as... The events of that day unfolded and the towers collapsed and, you know, uh, thousands of people lost their lives. Just watched in shock and, uh, uh, and, I mean, just wept over some of it. It was just one of those horrific moments. Why am I saying that to you? Why am I reminding you of that event? Because most of you, a lot of you will remember where you were, what was happening when that event was unfolding. Well, in the aftermath of what happened that day, people uh, uh, did all sorts of things, and there were all sorts of crazy things said. Uh, Lots of uh, uh, people started going back to church uh, in America. Uh, The number of people going to church increased very rapidly over the coming weeks and months. And uh, people started drawing parallels with the destruction of Babylon that's talked about in Revelation chapter 18. And uh, all sorts of things were said. I remember hearing them said and thinking, really? The trouble is, you see, people use the book of Revelation and they they want to use it almost like a a calendar of what's going to happen at the end of time. And uh, it, it continues to generate often more heat than light and can be very confusing. Some, you see, simply ignore its message as irrelevant and confusing. And there are some uh, uh, Christians, uh, 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 reformers of centuries ago, who didn't even refer, they did commentaries, uh, uh, looked at the books of the Bible, and they ignored the book of Revelation. Because they just found it, well, this is just too confusing. For others... They take an unhealthy interest and they get into detail that is really not helpful and leaves people lost and wondering what's going on. Others start off with excitement only to end up even more confused because they start reading around and they find that everybody's got a different view on something they read. And so they put it down and uh, uh, more confused than when they started. What is clear, I want to say this at the beginning, this 
book was written to a specific people at a particular point in history. It was written to them to help them. And so it has a relevance to the the first century after Jesus died. But also, we also know this, that uh, people of every generation, God has, by his Holy Spirit, has spoken and used this book to speak to churches and individuals. And so we can expect God is going to speak to us in the coming weeks and months. And God's going to speak to us today. You see, we're not going to be focusing in on minutiae of detail, strange symbolism or prophetic predictions. Rather, we're going to be concentrating on the big picture of God's plans in human history. And as we do that, we're going to find that the message of Revelation is still relevant today. It's going to encourage us and it's going to inspire us. Today, I want to draw out five things that Revelation reveals. The first thing is this. The book of Revelation reveals Jesus Christ. The word revelation actually comes from a Greek word, apocalypsis, which means unveiling, a revealing. When our young people went away to New Day, they camped away, uh, 70 of them went away, and uh, some strange things started to happen while they were away. And um, in the, they had a big marquee where they used to eat together. And in the marquee, there were things started to be, uh, were, people were coming in and they'd find things put up, pictures put up. And there were pictures of the front of the building. And uh, what had happened was they had, someone had taken the word hope out and they'd put soap. So it said soap church. And then the next day there'd be another one and it would say dope church. And then uh, as the days rolled on, um, there, were, uh, fi- uh, there were pictures of Jim who was there uh, leading, uh, uh, the, looking after the young people. And there was a photograph of, of him and holding his daughter Lucia, but her face had changed. And it was, I think it was Josh Gagel's face was, was on this picture. And so the wife, and nobody knew who did it. And so the week went on and all these things were going on and everybody was looking, who did it, who did it, Who's that? what's going on? And uh, when they came back, uh, there was a group of, I think it was four or five girls who uh, admitted uh, uh, to having done it and they revealed it was us, we did it. You didn't catch us, nobody got us. I want to say to you girls... I never knew that you were like that. I just didn't know that you were like that. I want to say, John had something of a similar encounter. You see, John thought he knew Jesus. He spent three years with him. He understood his humanity. He'd seen how kind he was, how gracious he was. John was close to Jesus, such that John refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. He had a really close relationship with him. It seems on the the Last Supper, uh, the the night before Jesus was betrayed, that John was lying, resting his head on Jesus' chest. 
John was close to Jesus. He, he knew what he said. He watched him die on a Roman cross. He was one of the few, he was the disciple who stood there watching. And Jesus says, John, I want you to take my mother and I want you to take her in and look after her. John knew Jesus. He saw him rise from the dead. He, when Jesus rose from the dead, John saw him. He touched him. He spent time with him, listened to him talk. In fact, he says this in 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. John saw this Jesus go back to heaven. And he expected him to return. He knew that he was the son of God. He'd even been there on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus had been uh, 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 transfigured into some of his glory before him. And it says, his, uh, it says Jesus' clothes were, were like white, like lightning. John saw it and in that moment he was astounded. But he even managed to fall asleep while this was going on. <clears throat> And yet when John encounters Jesus in Revelation, we read that he sees Jesus. He says he turns and he looks and he sees Jesus Christ. And it says, he says he writes himself, I fell at his feet as though dead. John knows this, but he suddenly sees Jesus in a way he has never seen him before. He sees him as the conquering king, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the one who will return and put all things right. And he falls at his feet as though dead. He thought he knew Jesus. You see, throughout Revelation, we're going to see this Jesus as the one who judges churches the one who rewards faithfulness, the one who punishes sin, the things that we do that uh, 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 offend God, the way we live without reference to him. That's what the Bible calls sin. This Jesus will judge. This Jesus will reward. This is one who is worthy. And we read in Revelation, Jamie read some of uh, the verses from Revelation earlier. This Jesus is worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Revelation reveals him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He can never be defeated. He is not just the suffering servant that we read about in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. He is not Jesus, gentle, meek, and mild. He is not just the miracle-working Son of God, the compassionate and gracious Son of Man, the resurrected Savior of the ascended Lord. He is the soon-to-return conquering King. He is Christus Victor, the one who has defeated death and will never die again. Hallelujah. Have we seen this Jesus? Have we been overwhelmed by his greatness? Have we fallen at his feet in worship? You see, the book of Revelation reminds us, in fact, it's full of people worshipping Jesus, people from every tongue, language, nation. The angels of heaven, every created being will worship 
Jesus Christ. Revelation reminds us that Jesus deserves our worship. You see, if we worship Jesus, we'll be those who follow him. There's a great little phrase in Revelation chapter 14. Revelation talks about Jesus and it uses the word, talks about him as being the lamb. John, when he sees Jesus as he's starting his ministry, John refers to him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it's an Old Testament picture about the sacrificial Lamb. And what John is saying is Jesus is this Lamb. He's going to die on our behalf. He's going to deal with our sin, our wrongdoing. He's going to enable us to have a relationship with God. And so Revelation picks up this picture. John, again, sees this picture of of a Lamb. And all through Revelation, about 28 times we read about the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. What an amazing phrase. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus died for us. God planned it before this world was created. Before the foundation of the world, God planned that Jesus would come and die on our behalf. What an amazing God. He's the Lamb that was slain. But in Revelation chapter 14, it talks about the followers of Jesus, it says of them that they will follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They will follow the Lamb wherever he goes. We're starting something on a Wednesday night over the next six months. Once a month, we're doing something called following Jesus. What it means to follow Jesus. This coming on the 16th, we're going to be, uh, this month, this Wednesday night, we're going to be talking about how we encounter Jesus through worship, how we encounter God through worship. And it's going to be about how we follow Jesus. I know it's going to be a practical unpacking of how we do that because in these days we need to know how to follow Jesus. It is a tough place to follow Jesus. John is on a prison island He's probably somewhere between 90 and 100 years old. It's tough. Christians have been persecuted for their faith. There's a tough world out there. And we need to know what it is in our world today, what it, how to follow Jesus. How do we do it? How do we practically do it on a Monday morning? How do we worship God when things are difficult? How do we worship God when... We've got busy lives. How do we follow the Lamb wherever He goes? I want to encourage you to be there. It's going to be a great time following Jesus. Maybe you're not yet a, fo- a follower of Jesus. Maybe you are sitting here, you've come and you've come with a friend. Maybe this is your first time here. I want to say you are so welcome to be amongst us. And as Steve was talking about Alpha, I want to say if you want to know Something about how you can follow Jesus. Is he worth following? Is he someone worth following? Well, you can come along to our Alpha uh, evenings, our Alpha course. Come and find out about this Jesus. I tell you, he is worth following him. I've been following him now for over 25 years. I tell you, it's the best thing I ever did. And do you know what? I didn't do much. I mean, God grabbed hold of me, a a wrecked and ruined guy in his 20s, early 20s, made a mess of my life, and God came and broke in and did something in me and changed the direction of my life, and he can do that for you. 
Following Jesus will be the best thing you ever do. Come and find out. Come and do Alpha with us. Revelation reveals Jesus Christ. Revelation, secondly, reveals the end of the story. I want you to imagine you're a child going into, can you, some, for some of us it's quite a long time ago, um, but I want you to imagine you're a child and you're going onto a building site and there's a big building site and there's all sorts of things going on. There's diggers over here and they're digging big ditches and holes and there's something else going over there and there's workmen running all over the place. There's scaffolding and there's bits of buildings going up and, and you're, a, you're a child and you're watching this unfold and you, you have no idea what's going on. It just seems like a load of chaos. It just seems like an absolute mess. But there is someone who knows what's going on. And he's the architect, the foreman. They know exactly what they're doing. That it's actually going to plan and it looks chaotic. To a child it looks chaotic. You see, sometimes we can, we can look at the book of Revelation and we can think it just looks chaotic. It just looks like there's crazy things happening over here. and there's, what's, I don't understand that. What on earth is this all about? But there is one who knows what's going on. There is a God who has a plan, who is working out his plan through history and will bring it to a conclusion. I mean, he doesn't give us all the detail. He doesn't give us a timetable. Revelation is not a timetable of what's going to happen at the end. But it is reminding us that there is a God on the throne and he's in control. Revelation makes it clear that God wins in the end. You see, the persecution, John would have known that the persecution of Christians have been intense. If you read about some of the stuff that some of the Roman emperors did to Christians, they are terrifying. And yet these people kept turning, people kept turning to Christ because they saw the reality of the faith of those who were being persecuted. That may not be our experience in the UK. But there are people around the world today, there are thousands of people around the world today who are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, there is a relevance to us because more subtly, the culture in John's day was very anti-God. It was very anti-church. The pressure to conform was great. There were Roman, uh, uh, the Roman emperors wanted to be worshipped as a god and the the Christians had to resist doing that. They weren't going to worship anyone other than Jesus Christ. And so there was great pressure on them to conform. You see, this is a battleground for us. There's a very subtle and increasing pressure on us as churches and as Christians to conform to a very politically correct view of the world, which isn't what uh, a, a view that God holds to. There's uh, an opportunity for those of you who are interested to look at the whole issue of assisted dying. There's something coming before Parliament soon. Uh, you know, uh, uh, there's going to be a debate and the, the, there's a proposal about putting forward about assisted dying. I mean, it is a huge issue. But we, as, as, as followers of God, as followers of Jesus, we believe in the value of human life, the sanctity of human life. I mean, there's huge questions around it. But we want to be those who stand for the value that God puts on human life.
It's an opportunity to find out the front desk a little bit about that at the end of the meeting. Karen will be there and she will um, be able to uh, point you in the right direction. There's some information that went out um, by email this week. You see, the issue is those who, uh, when we follow Jesus, we are not going to be loved by this world. This world hates God and those who follow him, those who follow his son Jesus. The pressure to water down the gospel is as great as it was in John's day. Revelation encourages us to hold fast, to persevere, to press on. And at the bleakest moment in Revelation, as you get to the middle of the book, when all hope seems lost, we're reminded in Revelation chapter 13 that this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on behalf of the saints, on the part of the saints. You see, Revelation was written that people who were going through difficulties and pressures and hard times would press through. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, Revelation was written in order that God's people who were passing through terrible persecutions and terrible adversity might be able to go on rejoicing. And so it has been a help to Christian people in every age and every generation. If your understanding of the book of Revelation does not help you rejoice, you are misunderstanding it. What about us? Maybe you're going through a difficult time then Revelation wants to encourage you. God wants to encourage you through it to press on. Remember, there is a God sitting on the throne of heaven. This world is not a runaway train heading for disaster. There is a God who is in control. We are just strangers passing through this world. Sometimes we hold on to this life as if it's the only one. The Bible says that's not the case. This, this life is just the hors d'oeuvre. It's just the, the taster. Revelation promises there is a t- an eternity to be spent in the presence of the God who created us. God wants us to know that he wants us, we're not to hold on to this life as if it's the only thing. We heard a great speaker at West Point, a guy called Sam Albury, who struggles with same-sex attraction. And he said he is, he is laid that aside. He is going to remain celibate for the rest of his days because it's part of the cost of following Christ. And he, he said this, there is a cost to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. He said everyone, there's a cost for everyone. And if you think there's no cost, this is what he said, if you think there is no cost to following Jesus, then I'm not sure you've heard the real gospel. There is a cost to following Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you it's worth it. It's worth pressing through difficulties and hard times. Revelation reveals the end of the story. Thirdly, Revelation reveals the future of the church. This is what Phil Moore says in his commentary. This one here. So what he says. Times were bad, very bad. The church stood at a moment of extreme crisis. The church had become riddled on the inside with false teaching, immorality and corruption. Even the faithful had begun to flounder in disappointment and despair. Whatever had happened to the unstoppable advance which Jesus promised to the church. You know, sometimes the church can look beaten up, 
unattractive, can look graceless and legalistic, can be proud and arrogant, judgmental and overbearing. And you can read in Revelation about Jesus' glorious bride and you can go, what, really? You can read quotes by guys like Bill Hybels who say the local church is the hope of the world. And you think, what, really? The hope of the world? I want to tell you this, that God is preparing a bride for his son. And the bride is his church. God is building his church. It's God's work. God is not going to give up on his church. His church is the hope of the world. And he is working on us. And it's not about how good we are. It's about how good Jesus is. And Jesus loves to walk amongst his church. That's what it tells us in Revelation. And so he's here this morning. He loves his church. He loves you. He loves you. And he wants you to be part of the church. If you're not part of the church, God wants you to graft you into his church. Because he loves it. And the promise of Revelation is that he's going to prepare us like a bride is prepared for a wedding day. To walk in in beautiful white garments. And Revelation promises that the church is being prepared. It's going to be a holy bride. And you may think, holy, really? Well, it's not about us trying harder. The holiness comes because Jesus gives us his righteousness. Gives us his right standing with his Father. He gives us garments to wear. It's what he does, not what we do. There is great hope for us. The church is the hope of the world. However bleak things look, we are his church. We're the hope of the world. We are Christ's ambassadors. This is what Revelation proclaims. I've been living in this verse over these last couple of weeks. This is what it says. Revelation chapter 12 verse 10. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. That is, when you think about it, that is an amazing statement. The salvation of God has been revealed. There is now hope for us. God has opened a way through his son Jesus. The power of God has been poured out on us. His Holy Spirit has been given to those who follow Jesus. The kingdom of God has started to come. Maybe small as a mustard seed in places, but it's growing and increasing. The kingdom of God has come, and one day will finally come when Jesus returns. But there's this phrase I've been thinking about, and the authority of his Christ. And as I started to think about it, I started to remember Jesus as he walked the earth, as we read about him in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we read about Jesus, and uh, he suddenly taught people, and the crowds were staggered. They were astonished. They were amazed. And they were amazed because he taught as one who had authority. That's what it tells us in Matthew chapter 7. And in Matthew chapter 8, we read about he encounters a Roman centurion, and this Roman centurion's servant is ill. And uh, Jesus, he says to Jesus, I want you to pray for my, my servant. And Jesus says, okay, I'll come with you. And the Roman centurion says, no, 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 you don't need to come. I'm a man under authority. I understand authority. You just need to say the word and will be healed. Jesus is staggered. He says, I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. And then a little later in the the following chapter, we read about uh, a paralytic being dropped through a roof by four guys. 
And he's lowered in front of Jesus and Jesus. And there's loads of people around in this room, a packed room. And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And everybody, people around going, what, what on earth? Who gives you the right to forgive sins? And Jesus says, just to show that I have the authority to forgive sins, get up and walk. And he gets up and walks. And then at the end of Matthew, we read, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me and I give it to you. You're my followers, you have my authority. And when I read this verse, this so encourages me. It says, now have come the authority of his Christ. And Jesus has delegated his authority to us. And he wants us to believe that we have and know that we have his authority. So when we pray, we pray with authority. We pray with authority because now has come the authority of Christ to his church. And so we pray with faith when we pray for the sick. We pray believing that God's going to break through and, and we battle through because sometimes we don't see things happen but we keep on praying and there are testimonies over these last few years of where God has broken through and turned situations around and there's, there's people sitting here this morning who've seen God remarkably answer prayer. Now has come the authority of his Christ. We are the church. We are the hope for this city. God has positioned us here to make a difference. Revelation reveals the future of the church. Fourthly and quickly, Revelation reveals our enemy. One thing that you read when you read through the Bible, you, you see that, that there's a, a threat, there's, there's an enemy, there's a, there's a devil, the Bible calls him the devil, who hates God, is opposed to God. And uh, through the Bible, there's, there's moments where he's seen a little bit more clearly, but often he's veiled, working behind the scenes, impacting, uh, influencing situations. But when you get to Revelation, he is revealed for what he really is. Talks about him as being a dragon, opposed to God, all who belong to God. He's no longer veiled. He openly opposes God. He hates those who belong to God. There is no end to his fierce anger. There is no end to his bitterness. He will do all he can to damage. If you're a believer, if you follow Jesus, he will do all he can to damage you. He will do all he can to harm the church. He hates God's people. And we're not to be unaware of his schemes. And so our response needs to be those, we need to be those who put on the full armor of God, as Paul talks about. We need to take up the shield of faith. We need to uh, put on the belt of integrity with breastplate of righteousness. We need to be those who walk uh, as Jesus walked, knowing the Holy Spirit within us, people of word and spirit, because we have an enemy. Revelation reveals our enemy. And finally, Revelation reveals our reward. This is what J.C. Ryle, an old writer, says. If we persevere in humble and prayerful study of the whole book, we shall find in almost every page verses which shall richly repay our pains. They shall shine out on us like stars in the dark vault of heaven in a moonless night. They shall refresh us like an oasis in the wilderness. You see, there is a blessing from reading Revelation. Revelation itself says you'll be blessed if you read this book and if you do what it says. Take it to heart. Why? 
The time is near. Jesus is coming back. People in every age, every generation have have said what it says in Peter. Where is this coming that he promised? Everything goes on as it has, year after year, century after century. Ha, load of rubbish. He's not coming back. And Peter says they forget. They forget that God created the world in the beginning. They forget what happened when the world flooded and God broke in and judged. They forget that God, with, a, with God a day is as like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. And God is just being, they forget that God is just being patient. He's being, it feels like nothing's happening because God is being patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish because he's such a loving, gracious God. But there is a day coming and it's coming sooner than than we think. Jesus is coming back. That day is sooner than than last week. It's sooner, it's, it's getting close. And God is saying, be my people. Love me. There's a reward for those who follow my son. There's a day coming when the promise of revelation will be that there will be heaven on earth. At the moment, it feels like hell on earth. We watch what's happening with the tragedies unfolding around the world. We see people fleeing from war-torn Syria and we see images of young boys lie dead on a beach. We live in a world where there is a, a mess. The devil is ruining this world. But there is a day coming where what seems like hell on earth, God will turn it around and he will turn it around. There will be heaven on earth. When he returns, he will make all things right. Injustices will be righted. Punishment will be meted out. Faithfulness will be rewarded. Life will be as God always intended and marked by sin. Eternal joy. Heaven on earth will be fulfilling in every way. There will be joy-filled work. Joy-filled work. It won't be a Monday morning where you wake up and you go, oh, work again. We will love. We will love being in the presence of God. We will love enjoying his creation. We will love work. God created us for work. There'll be laughter and amazement as we uncover through eternity the wonders of God and the glory of his creative power. There is a reward not to be missed. When Handel wrote his Hallelujah Chorus in the 18th century, there was a moment where his... his, uh, Allegedly, his servant went in to, because it all had gone quiet in his room. He'd, been, he'd heard him playing and doing all sorts of stuff. He goes into his room and he sees Handel bereft. And he asks, what's going on? He says, oh, is everything okay? He says, I, and it's, Handel says something like, he says, I, I feel like I've seen heaven opened. And he's written this glorious piece of, uh, a, a piece of music, the Hallelujah Chorus. And the Hallelujah Chorus is, is picking up this theme of Jesus coming back from the book of Revelation, the second coming of Christ. And when it was first played, 
the king of the time, George II, it said, it said that he stood at the end of the Hallelujah Chorus. The king stood and applauded the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And God wants you to know there's a reward to those who follow him. And it's urged that the heart of God is that he's been patient with you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you can put that right today, as Rob was talking about earlier. As we finish, Revelation reveals we're to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. We're to follow Jesus. It reveals Jesus Christ, God's Son, the King of glory. It reveals the end of the story. It reveals there's a good end. We need to know that there's a good end to this. This life is not just going to end in a in, in centuries and millennia's time in just the world just puffing out, blowing out like a candle. That is not our end. Revelation reveals that there is going to be a day when he comes back. And it calls for us to pace, patiently endure, press through. Maybe this morning you're struggling. Maybe you're struggling with your faith. Maybe you're wondering, what's this all about? Revelation, God wants to encourage you and say, keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. Reveals the future of the church. You may have all sorts of questions about church, but I want to tell you, God loves the church. God loves Hope Church. He loves all the churches in Winchester, those that follow him. God loves the church. He sent his son for us. The church is being prepared to be abroad. Be part of the church. Get stuck in to church life over these coming months. Don't be distant. The church reveals that there's an enemy, one who's out to hoodwink you and deceive you. Flee temptation. Resist the devil and he will run from you. Put on the full armor of God. Revelation reveals that there's a reward. He is coming back and he's bringing his reward with him. And actually... You know the reward? The reward is Jesus himself. He's the treasure in a field that's worth selling everything for. He's the pearl of great price that's worth giving everything for. Jesus is the reward.